It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host Craig Fowler and I am joined on this occasion to look through the six games which took place in the Scottish Premiership at the weekend by a man who has been living it up since his team's rivals lost on Friday night. That is Gary Cocker. I wasn't even aware they were playing such as their face at the moment. Hello. Hello. And I'm also joined by a man who has basically been drawing little... Kisses and little love hearts and a photo of Theo Bear while praying that the end of the season arrives tomorrow. It's Graham Thulis. Hello. Um, I yeah. I I just don't want to. I don't want to watch Motherwell again. If Liam Kelly goes to the Euros, I'm just not going to watch. I'm going to draw the curtains and do something else. <laughs> just don't want to see him anymore. I'm fucking. <laughs> I just want to watch. I just want to watch football. Let's be honest. I just don't want to fucking watch football anymore. So here I am on a fucking podcast, having watched six fucking games of football to talk about them all. I just don't. I just don't want. To, I just don't want to do it anymore. I'm done with it. I'm still having fun, Graham. Fuck off, Gary. Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, start. Let's well, start this podcast. Right, it is so like the last time that we did a Monday podcast last week, it was myself and Craig Anderson. We introduced some new features. We basically done one game where we done our usual style. We just kind of talk generally about the match, and then we'd done a feature for another. Well, we basically done one for the remaining seven games in the Scottish Cup without uh, touching on the Dundee game. And we asked for feedback. Basically, anybody that's got in touch with us, apart from, so about, yeah, a few people go back in touch with us. Most people saying they like the six-game format. However, I'm still pushing ahead with making a change. But what we'll say, I thought got lost in translation a little bit, is that people were saying, like the the fact that you cover every single game and don't, like, miss some. The, The plan was always to cover a game. And in this podcast itself, we will cover every single game that took place the Scottish Premiership weekend. 
will just, for three of them, so I'm raining it back a little bit, but for three of them, we're basically just going to go with, just to, just to mix things up and to come at it from a different angle to then, but we'll still have general chat about each game and still cover them in general. It's it's kind of, as well as freshening things up, it also just makes our life a bit easier because especially tonight, like this, this is Monday's podcast, but we're recording this late on Sunday. There's not a lot of time to watch all six games. So it's just easy to go with certain aspects of the game, talk about those, and then kind of fill in the rest for the highlights. So hopefully that clears things up a little bit, and hopefully you appreciate the fact that I've read the back a little bit, because we will begin with two games that we'll just talk generally about, and that is, even though they weren't necessarily great games in isolation, it is, of course, been a seismic shift this past weekend, or a couple of weeks, at the top of the Scottish top flight with Rangers now in sole possession of the first place in the table after their 3-0 victory over St. Johnson following Celtic's 1-0 draw with Kilmarnock. And that's the game we'll start it. The game at Celtic Park. Well, guys, let me go to... Let me go to Graham, first of all. I mean, it's just similar from what we've seen for Celtic a lot this season. They dropped points at home against a team that you wouldn't necessarily expect Celtic to drop points to. But even more... Alarming for Brendan Rodgers saying this one is that Kelly thoroughly deserved that point. Oh yeah, like absolutely no. Like it was, it was particularly watching the game. Like over and over again, you just kept being given the same warning from Kilmarnock. Like what's going to happen here is we're going to cross the ball in, and Donnelly had Donnelly actually had a really good chance that he probably should have finished much earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, who's the other one? I think Donnelly had a segment for that as well. Kenny Kennedy had a really uh, sorry Armstrong had a really good chance at the back post that he kind of lashed at and he knew he'd made a bad choice there as well but he just kept giving them the same warning over and over again like if you don't put us away a cross will come into the box and we'll score is the long and the short of it and ultimately that's exactly what happened and it was like it was the most inevitable thing in the world like you either if you're in Celtic and Celtic against Kilmarnock in this position you either need to be in total control of the game if you're going to see it a one nothing you need to be in total control or alternatively, you need to go and score more goals. And it just had the most inevitable outcome to it as well. And in, in reality, Kilmarnock probably could have taken three points. I think a draw is probably a fair result in the grand scheme of things. But it's just, what are you doing? Like, it was screamingly obvious what was going to happen as this game progressed. And then inevitably, that's exactly what happened. But it also, it felt like a peak Brendan Rodgers in that, as you say, Killy really did have an amazing chance to win at the end. But that's not the Brendan Rodgers way this season because that would have caused, I don't know if you can have mass mutiny within a football stadium, but, you know, they would have gone absolutely mad. It would have been, you know, super scoreboard would have been going mad. But this is, it feels like death by a thousand cuts for Celtic mm. this season. It's, there's not the absolute capitulation, the the banter years, whatever you want to call it, that you had under Neil Lennon. You know, they're, they're not going to Dubai um, and having um, a, yeah, a getting COVID. credit <laughs> spreading COVID through the squad um, yet. Anyway, it, it just feels like a very just meh Celtic side. You know, this is, I think this was Tony Ralston's 100th Celtic appearance, which is surely a statistic that has to, you know, send alarm bells going through. Um, I've really, everybody. really enjoyed as well. Everyone seemed quite, quite thrilled and quite delighted that Greg Taylor was back. Now, don't get me wrong, I really like Greg Taylor. I think Greg Taylor's a really fine player. But if Greg Taylor's the difference between Celtic winning and losing the league, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, what, what are you trying to achieve here? He is your left back. He is a good left back, and he could only play for an hour. And ultimately, when he came off, as when I kind of felt like Celtic really began to struggle, I know it kind of coincided with the fact that Kamalik then fully went for it at that point as well. If I had to 
go and look at what the alternatives were there. That's for the moment, right? Taylor's off. It's now a complete dumpling backline. Let's fucking go, lads. Um, so, yeah, just a, an inevitability come the end of it. No, that's exactly what happened because Kelly, right for the start, targeted Ralston and thought he was the one of the weak links at the Celtic defence. And then when Burnaby came on to replace Taylor, they, they targeted him as well. So McInnes had an excellent game plan and basically going at Celtic wherever possible, but letting Stephen Welsh and I was going to call him Liam Welsh, so that's not his name. Liam Scales and Stephen Welsh basically let them have the ball. There are a lot of Liams in this game. Like, there's a lot of Liams. <laughs> But yeah, to go to the point as well, like Gary's again, it's a great one in terms of the, the death by a thousand cuts. And I think when you look back at the, I mean, there's still a lot of time to go in Celtic. And he's, like, we could still turn this around. I mean, they're absolutely, I don't know when he's going to, he's still out for a few weeks. But like when Rio Hattati comes back, that is somebody that they're absolutely desperate on getting back because they really need his call in the middle of the park. McGregor and O'Reilly in this game, not very good. And their form has been struggling a bit recently. They just haven't got the blend. There's that. Fast they've kind of got going up front with Kyogo now a number 10. Like he scored in this game, but otherwise he really didn't get many touches of the ball because that's not how best to get the best at Kyogo. Adam Ida was hopeless in this encounter. He's, he was doing a lot of running, but when the ball was going up to him, he couldn't hold it up. It was bouncing off him and he didn't have, I think he had what, one or two touches in the in the Killy penalty area all game. And when you talk just, about... Just really quickly as well, Phil, just to add to that as well, because I know you're much more tactically astute than I am, but the way in which they're currently playing Maeda and Palma, which is almost like a more withdrawn role, like a deeper in the park rather than up in support of either, does that not also kind of negate both of what they're very good at? Like Palma's, Palma's very good at getting the ball high, cutting inside and getting a shot off, and he's been really yeah. effective at doing that. Maeda is good when he's higher up the park, he's seen just terrorise like he he's not a good footballer in the grand scheme of like ultimately not a ten out of ten footballer, but he just pushes the 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 opposing fullback or wing back right right back because he just keeps them pinned there. But surely if you're giving him deeper, then he's gonna if you go and close him down deeper, then he's got nowhere to go because he's only gonna go inside or go back because he's not got the ability to beat players other than run on the ball. So like it feels like you're you're not only as you say Furuhashi, you're getting the least out of him. Because you're getting less out of Palmer, you're getting less out of Maida. And then also by doing that, by backing up those two wingers into both Taylor and Ralston, you're kind of negating the thing that Ralston's good at, which is just fucking running. And Taylor as well, who's, again, as we know, adept at going inside or outside. You're cutting all of your good players off at the knees. Like, what are you... Yeah. That's the strangest thing with Rodgers this season. And it goes to the feeling that his heart just doesn't seem fully into it. Like, if you think about Rodgers' first time, that was at a time where you really expected Celtic to overhaul the entire squad. Rodgers coming in, they were rub- I mean, they won the title of the season before, but they were rubbish under dialogue. Got beat by Rangers in the Scottish Cup semi-final when Rangers were still a championship team. And you thought, right, that's it. He's going to absolutely clear the house. He's going to bring in so many players and Celtic are going to be completely transformed. That didn't happen. Celtic like, signed only like five players that summer and like only two of them were any good in like, Scott Sinclair and Moussa Dembele. But he made so many players in the team better. And... And this team has made so many players worse, but it's yeah. it's because he just seems to be sticking with what he wants to do. He's like, I want to have like my my centre forward. I want to have Kyogo dropping deep. I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's like, why are you doing this? Stick with the stick with the template that you had before. You had given to you by Ange Postecoglou, and everything would have been fine. And it's it's it shows you how much the Celtic board are hated. That Brendan Rodgers isn't even really getting that much stick from the Celtic fans, or at least nowhere near as much as I think he should be, based on what he's done this season. It's also, if you have a look at the the transfer business that Celtic did, um, I can't remember who it was, but someone, somebody tweeted it out saying, you, you know, you can't say that the board hasn't backed 
Brendan Rodgers. And if you add up, they have spent £25 million over the summer. But that £25 million has got them Navrocki, Louis Palmer, fine. Nicholas Kuhn, uh, Lager Bielka, bye. Odin Thiago Holm, see ya. Yang, uh, Tilio, uh, and Quan. Who plays for Sunbird now? Yeah, it's, you know, it is not. I know that with the old firm, and I think this is the problem is that Celtic's transfer strategy seems to be try and find the diamonds in leagues of comparable size, um, Scotland, um, that you can then turn around to the English market for, you know, three, four times that. But none of these guys, maybe Pamit, but none of these guys are going to be doing that. Um, and Tilly was just an incredibly bizarre one anyway, because who spends over, you know, a, a bag of minstrels on anyone from the A-League. <laughs> As we'll go on to later on when we talk about Hibs, Aberdeen Hibs, when you've spent a million pounds on an A-League player, apparently they're just definitely shite. You go back to Garankul for that as well, for another example. But anyway. what I was going to say earlier is that I give you a look back, because again, the Celtic and Celtic board in January, when everybody was, like, Celtic fans were hoping, and I think we were expecting that they would, they would actually spend a bit of cash. But then at the start of the month, they, they, were, they beat Rangers. And I wonder if that, if Rangers had won that game, I think Celtic would have spent a bit of money and would have got a bit more, serious is not the word, but you know what I mean? There would have been a bit more urgency about the board. They wouldn't have just like, oh, we'll be fine. And they were, they were better than Rangers that day as well. So it just looked like, well, everyone's going to be fine. Celtic are kind of sleepwalking to the title. But regardless of how they're getting there, they're going to get there. And now, well, bloody hell. <laughs> they're, sleepwalk, they're sleepwalking the other way. It's like that scene yes. in Step Brothers. They're going into the kitchen, putting bags in the oven. It's just not going well for them. But just before we move on to the Rangers game, a bizarre thing about this one as well, like I, I, there's been a, couple, a few real changes in Scottish football over recent years, which are just helping out the, the bigger teams more. And that's the increased substitutes in every game, VAR, and there's one more that I can't remember as well. But in this match, Killy made five subs, and each one of their subs made Killy better, whereas Celtic subs made them worse. Yeah. <laughs> How about the Celtic? It so much. Just, 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 just a quick word on the other side, Killy, though, as well. Like, Ndaba in this game was absolutely tremendous as well. Like, both, both of Kilmarnock's fullbacks, I thought, in, in Mayo and Ndaba were absolutely brilliant throughout the game as well. Like, they, as you said, Craig, to begin with, like they very clearly had a game plan. But as the game went on, they just got braver and braver. But it's dead easy to, like, for teams, you've seen it a million times, of teams going to Parkhead or going to Ibrox and then ending up retreating into their shell further and further. The more the game got on, the, game went on, the Kelly boys, you could see them getting taller, getting stronger, getting faster. Like, okay, let's go. Like, we're here. We're, we're 20 minutes to go. We're well in the game. And, like, the, like you say, the, the five subs as well is. It is a ludicrous bit of the game at the moment, and it's not something I've never ever really sort of come around to. But it's nice to see Command like, like using it to their advantage in this situation as well. I also feel that this is exactly the same game plan that Derek McInnes has tried to use every single time he's played Celtic, whether it's been like for Aberdeen or in a cup final, and it's almost worked like eight or nine different times, but never quite got there. And this feels like it's about as close as it's really got to. Like the other games this season, it doesn't. They felt like that Kilmarnock. Uh, beating them was a little bit different to this. This one felt more like Derek McInnes goes to Hamden to try and beat Celtic, a, a vastly superior Celtic side, with Aberdeen. And this time, it, I, I feel like he, this is the one he's going to go home and be like, I was right, I was right every single time. I was right that time, I was right this time. All I needed was X, Y, Z. And the answer as to what he needed was a big Dutch mentalist. 
I forgot whether the other rule change that benefited the bigger teams, and again, you can, you can point to this one and it actually benefited Kelly was the obscene amount of injury time that now gets played. But Kelly equalised the injury time only a couple of minutes in, but then if there was a team going to win it, it was Kelly who had the chance to do so at the end. So, yeah, crazy stuff. Like, just flipping expectations all over the place at Celtic Park. Not so much a case at McDermott Park, where Rangers won 3-0 in a game that was... Well, pretty pish, to be honest. Like there, there was really not a lot happened before Diamante opened the scoring with an excellent striker, as to be said. Then, yeah, not much again happened until half time. Getting to the second half, St. Johnson bringing an extra attacker, try to go for it a bit more, don't really do anything. Rangers get a stonewall penalty that should have been given in real time. VAR ends up giving it. That's converted by Tavernier, and then they get another penalty, which is definitely a penalty, which was converted by. Tavernier again, and it's just a routine 3-0 win without St. Johnson really laying a glove on Rangers, and that's probably a disappointing team. You can see they would be happy enough for the first half performance to get there at halftime. Only, even only a goal down, Rangers have only really cre- haven't really created much. Take play up in a second half, have a go at them, make them nervous. It just didn't really happen for them. I think there were some decent performances in midfield and defence, but up front they basically got nothing out of Sidibe, who started the game, and Kip Kweka, who came on. And it's actually slightly surprising because against Dundee uh, last week, St. Johnson's tactic was essentially a, an incredibly dilute version of this, which would be to sit back and try to hit them uh, on the break with speed. And they did that to some effect against Dundee, but clearly not against Rangers, who um, I hadn't actually seen that they've now um, developed a graphic for VAR review um, for their Twitter slash X feed, um, which is incredibly <laughs> on brand uh, and very much um, to be encouraged, I think. Um, you got to commit to the bit, Gary. Exactly, got to commit to the bit. And it, it was quite bizarre, actually, because, as you say, these were two absolute stonewaller penalties. Uh, and yeah. there's been so much controversy and discussion this season about the handball rule. Oh, what, you know, don't even know what's a handball. I'll tell you what's a handball. Look at the highlights from this game. Because um, that was a, a, <laughs> just an open and shut case um, for once. Um, but no. The, the Saucy just... Johnson fans comparing it to the penalty they didn't get against Hearts when it hit Cochrane's arm. The, the difference between the two of them is that yeah, heck, it was exactly the same with Cochrane kind of well, turned his back. Rangers. Yeah, well, there's that. But Cochrane turned his back on it the same way that Luke Robinson did in this game. But it hit Cochrane. It hit Cochrane on the tricep, which was the tricep was tucked in his body. His his arm then was kind of out, but it didn't hit his hand. If it hit his hand, then it would have been a penalty. It hit like an upper top, like upper bit of his arm, which was kind of in a, which was in a natural position. Whereas this one, his arm was further out and it hit him further down on the hand. So that's why it was a penalty. Does that sound stupid as an explanation? Yes, it is. But those are the rules. It's great to see people still jumping in front of Hearts bullets. It's just it's, uh, it's really, <laughs> just really important that, uh, really important that we, we, we return to solve problems from games weeks ago just to make sure the Hearts aren't slighted in any way at all. I just, I just, I read, I read, I said St. Johnson fan saying, what about this one? So that, I was just explaining the differences between the two. Uh, Diamandi looks like it. Diamandi yeah. looks quite good, which is yes. always very upsetting when Rangers or Celtic make a marquee sign and they look very immediate, immediately look class. I was um, in the midst of building jigsaws with my three year old, so I saw this game in bits and pieces. But every time I looked up, like he was right. appearing in different parts of the different parts of the field, either winning tackles or lashing in strikes or whipping in crosses um, or taking people on. I was like, "You can do all of these things. You're doing all of these things quite well." I'm not really generally supportive of such things. <laughs> but I suppose that's, I mean, that's that inevitably at some point or the other, Rangers were going to sign a player that might actually at a game for Celtic. 
So it's something they need because they need something to help them break the press in the middle of the park. Yeah. They could too easily be kind of caught out in there and get kind of balled down in the battle. So somebody that can just have that composure and kind of turn away, kind of like Glenn Kamara did for them so often. But Kamara never had a goal like like this one. No, no, uh, no, he did. Oh, Glenn did he? I scored one like this against Livingston in a Betfred Cup. Right. Like round of sixteen tie when he stepped onto it leveled it. And I remember the commentator at the time said something along the lines of that's all the only thing that's missing from Glenn Kamara's game. And he never did it again. <laughs> um so yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say we should probably pick up on um, Craig Levine's comments after the game uh, as well, where he um yeah, uh, he uh, suggests that refs should get half the pay because they're only making half the decisions, the other half being made um in the booth, as he puts it. Um and I get, you know, y- you've got to do I can see Graham looking to the sky and um, realising that the decisions that were made in the booth were actually the right decisions and should have probably been made on the pitch anyway. Well, this is, uh, yeah, this is something that I feel that we've covered about half a dozen times that I feel yeah. that referees don't really make decisions. Like, yeah. they're, they're, It feels like a cop-out in a number of them. And the one, the first one in particular, the second one, right, ball being fired around the box, it looked fairly obvious anyway, but this first one in particular, like Sterling very clearly gets the ball there first, the ball... I don't know. Just make the decision. Like, you know you've got the safety blanket anyway, so just do it. But again, it feels like they're almost reticent to do so. Yeah. There was a couple of reds dished out recently, but I was thinking that before them, that referees, when it comes to penalties and red cards, it's so, it just feels like this season, particularly, they're just like, ah, if, 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 if it's a red or if it's a penalty, VAR will give it. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to make this choice in the moment. And I think the bigger issue, actually, is that the... You know, it used to be that you would look at the premiership fixtures and you would know, right, the referees for this will be some mix of Kevin Clancy, Willie Collum, Alan Muir, Don Robertson. Um, it would have been Bobby Madden and um, Andrew Dallas back in the day as well. But now, you know, when you look at the sheet, because a lot of referees are having to be used in other capacities at the moment, you're getting referees who are perhaps a little bit greener um, to the uh, premiership. Um, and the last couple of games, you know, it's, it's probably been feeding into that as well, this um, notion that they might be quite happy for more experienced uh, colleagues who are uh, sitting in the VAR room to make the decision potentially for them, even in pretty open and shut cases. Got a couple of things to touch on just before we get us to our first feature, and that is Cyril Dessers. So I really laughed out loud uh, as he went through and goal. So I'd just been listening. I'd been listening to the the show that Joel and Ewan had done for the Patreon. The first, the first half of it appeared on, on YouTube. That was about the, Aber- the mental Aberdeen-Motherwell game. And then the second half of it was just on Patreon. And that was Ewan talking about the Rangers' victory over Ross County and talking about Dessers. And Ewan was saying that had Dessers started the season like he's been playing recently, and then his form had, basically if his form had been reversed, then he would have been thought a lot more highly thought of. And there's just a lot of people now who just insist that he's shite and he's not going to get any better. Kind of like comparing him to Antonio Cholak, who's still a bit more fondly remembered than maybe he should be because he had that kind of electric start. But this happened. So this, I was literally listening to this and Dessers then went through as you was saying this. And so when he, again, completely fucked a one-on-one with a goalkeeper, I just had to, yeah, just burst out laughing. But I do have a hot take. I've got a scorching hot take for this one. It's more of a prediction, actually. But... Cyril Dessers is going to score the goal that cements the league title for Rangers. There is my prediction. It's going to be very Harold Bratback in 1997-98. Will this goal take him above at £4 million 
Theo Bear in the in, in the season scoring charts, or will this put him level with Theo at that point with that goal that he scores to win Rangers the title for four million pounds? Of course, it'll be it'll be, it'll be less than Theo actually. Yep, <laughs> you're on board. Yep, I genuinely, not even just on board. I just genuinely think that's true. Like I think I think that's I think that's something that could quite conceivably happen. All of that, which is fucking alarming in a number of ways. And the other thing I want to say, just on St. Johnson, so Graham Carey again was like a deep line playmaker in this one. It's something Levine's been doing recently. It's worked in, in certain games, the, the county game, although I did think they were a bit weaker defensively due to him playing there. He, he was involved in the goal and he made the other chances. And I can see why Levine would do it. However, in a game like this against Rangers, where you're not going to get the ball in advanced areas very often, I think you need somebody like Graham Carey who's actually capable of doing something rather than having further back and trying to keep possession because you're just not going to have that much of it against Rangers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Right. So we move on to our first feature, which is Say Something Nice. Gary, you're in charge of this one because we're going to now go to Dens Park where Dundee defeated Ross County 2-0 with both goals coming from an unusual source this season. Scott Tiffany, where have you come from? I think his only other goal for Dundee, I still don't think it was his, it was one of the goals against St. Johnson at McDermott, which really was back at Yoko. But I think Tiffany got a slight foot to it, but he has not had a good start um, to his Dundee career. He's um, had a couple of injuries here and there, but he has come into the team partly because up until recently, because of Owen Beck being Owen Beck, we've played a, a 3-5-2, um, which hasn't really had room um, for Tiffany. When he has been, been played, he's typically been shoehorned in as a centre forward, which isn't really Tiffany's game. So it's for all the world, and I still, without want to sort of spoil the ending here, I still think this might be the case. I think he falls into uh, a category that me and Graham have talked about quite a lot, which is players who are the Josh too good Mullen. for the championship. Yeah, yeah. the Josh Mullen paradox. <laughs> yeah, um, they're too good for the championship, but they're probably not good enough um, to play week in, week out in the Premiership. I still think he belongs there, but nevertheless, he scored twice. And I think the, the biggest criticism of Tiffany um, since he's come to Dundee has been that, yes, you know, he's taken on, um, you know, he's been happy to take on fullbacks, he's been happy to drive at defences, but the end product has been missing. The, the final cross has been weak the um shots have been too obviously telegraphed but in both cases um at the weekend he did exactly what you would hope he would do um the first goal was really well taken um it was um luke mccarran played the ball forward Costello played actually quite a smart um little um through ball and um, which managed to just put tiffany in a 
uh, straight foot race with, I think it was Loy Kahina, and um, he just slid the ball under Pickens, and that was just a minute before halftime. Dundee had looked marginally the better side, but that was in a, it was a fairly pedestrian game. Not a lot was happening, um, but to put a totally different spin on the second half, County came out pretty all guns blazing for the first 10-15 minutes without really threatening at all. But then again, it was another pretty neat uh, Dundee move, a little bit of interplay between uh, McIron and Bakayoko. The ball spilled to Tiffany on the edge of the box uh, and he just uh, placed it uh, again beyond the county keeper who probably should have done better with it anyway. George Wickens. Yeah. You know, he was not facing the however many, 72 shots or however many it was that he'd faced. Save 19. Save 19 19 shots. A statistic that as a club you want to highlight. (laughs) (laughs) We made our goalkeeper do fucking loads of work. We are getting good value. And and he was so knackered after that that he ended up just, yeah, um, letting in a couple against Sunday. But no, it was a routine, um, I think functional uh, is a word that might uh, be used by Graham in regard to another fixture later on, but it was it was a pretty functional win for Dundee, but it's the sort of game that I think Dundee's of, of seasons past would have shat the bed in a little bit, to be honest, but that is now the highest number of clean sheets that Dundee have had since 2001-2002 in the Premiership by this point. Uh, we've already surpassed <laughs> the points total that we had in the last two seasons we were relegated, so that's a good thing as well, uh, and five clear of Aberdeen and Hibs as well. So I, I don't know how long Tiffany will necessarily kick about in the team. Um, I think that uh, what we did was it was a, a 4-3-3 we were playing, and that was partly because we're still waiting on a lot of centre-halves, um, a lot of centre-halves uh, coming back and being fully match-fit. Um, so that's how Tiffany's managed to get his chance and probably keep his place in the team as well. Dockery is not a man who is prone to just playing his favourites. He'll play whoever's in form, uh, which is why Boateng continued to be Bench for uh, Mozilla, who he was, was sensational, terrific. absolutely um, sensational. This game, like of 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 all the performers in this game, obviously Tiffany scored two goals. It was really obvious, but Tiffany was kind of on the fringe of the game for yeah. big cho- for big chunks of it. Silla on the other hand, he just ran the game. Every single element, every single every single part of the game against like against a midfield to county like Latouri. I think all of us quite like in terms of what he brings to that Ross County team. Particularly Tony Anderson, who thinks he's like the way Tony rates Latouri, the rest of his Latourius. There's a difference between two of them, but he does very well in there. Silla was fantastic throughout the game. Yeah. Um, I thought he was a real, the real standout. And in a, in a game where um, you've got Owen Beck, who's obviously a star, and McCowan, who's in, in great form, and Tiffany, who scored twice to be head and shoulders above everyone else on the field, it's quite something. It's quite something. And, and, ahead, of a, and ahead of a goalkeeper that made 19 saves in midweek. And he did get man of the match as well, which was surprising because that's always chosen by whoever's really drunk in hospitality. Uh, so you would just expect him to go, Tiffany! But no, uh, Silla was tremendous. Beck did go off injured. Mm, which, mm, too bad. Hope, yeah, hopefully it is just, um, you could see it wasn't his best game. He wasn't bad. It just, he, he wasn't sort of as sparkling as he usually is. So Is um, he at all hampered by the, by the change of system? To be honest, I think he was mainly hampered just by uh, apparently had a tight groin, right. um, which is always I, I always feel like they should have a, a different uh, way of phrasing that. But <laughs> but I mean, he both he and McGee uh, were still um, getting forward, even though they weren't uh, wing backs; they were um, playing as full backs uh, in this particular system. But it's sensible for Dundee, though. Like, again, Dundee having a system which isn't so reliant on Beck as well, because Doc, as much as I presume he had some sort of. Um, 
uh, reassurances from Liverpool that you, they would probably get Beck back until he was actually back. He must have been, he must have been having kittens because so much of Dundee's play came directly through Beck. So it makes sense as well <laughs> to at some point be like, can we survive without this laddie who won't play for us next year? Yeah, yep. this twenty-year-old. Yes. And then talking and talking about the the system and talking about Tiffany. Well, just to kind of add, like Tiffany. Yeah, he's not had a good time of it so far, but as, as Tony's brought up a few times, like he, he really stepped into the kind of worst situation where he's been signed. He's, he's a winger, and he's been signed for a team that's played 3-5-2 pretty much all season. So yeah, he's not looked good when he has had these chances, but it's it's just not a role that he's kind of suited to, and this, this might see him kick on. But we could also probably say something nice about Dara Costello, because when he plays as a winger, he doesn't look completely useless. Yeah, um, which is, again, a nice surprise. I mean... Again, when he came into the team, this was in the the horrendous couple of weeks when we didn't have Owen Beck and we weren't sure if we were going to get Owen Beck back. Um, So he was played as a left wing back. He's not a left wing back. Uh, In this game, he played on the right. He just didn't have to worry about defending. You know, you've got Jordan McGee behind you, who is an incredibly just competent, sturdy defender. You don't need to worry. Um, Aaron Donnelly as well, um, who was uh, played in the um, back forward next to Joe Shaughnessy. Basically, just an incredibly steady, competent back four, which meant Casello could just go and do his thing, uh, running at the county defence, picking up a pretty daft early yellow, um, which I think was one of the reasons why he was taken off relatively early. But nevertheless, um, I think it, it shows that he has some role to play in this team. Uh, even Owen Dodgson um, came on and didn't um, concede a goal, which was, uh, I think, the first time he's done that um, for Dundee. So... Things looking vaguely competent at Dens Park. It'll never last. Just briefly, Gary, as well. How are Dundee performing so well when about three quarters of your starting eleven are very clearly malnourished? They will not get fed until we secure top six. <laughs> it's it is a very fine line to be walking. Again, I'm a little bit concerned about Scott Tiffany. If I'm honest I with get you, Tiffany McCowan, Cameron, like these guys, they they could probably do with just a poker chips, maybe. Like they just they genuinely, look, and maybe that's a doc. It's like they just look incredibly. They look all like super skinny. So maybe they're just incredibly fit. I don't know, but they genuinely, Tiffany particularly, he just looks underfed. Like just eat something, man. Get some of the, get some of those Domino's cream eggs. Oh, I can't wait to try those. <laughs> but no, they um, it's a very small and scrawny team. Um, but nevertheless, it's a small and scrawny team in the top six. So. Who am I to judge? <laughs> you're, having a, you're having a good time. <laughs> you're for a good time, not a long time. All right, let's move on to another game which goes under the microscope, and that is Livingston 1, St Mirren 0. Livingston's first league win after a run of 18 games, and it means that things are on at the bottom of the table. It's no good. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a case of Livingston just going off without a fight. Oh, they are. Come on. Come on. Come on. Like, I know they're doing this big build up like Olivia and going like fair play. Like, they got they got their win. Good for them. Yeah. Good for them. They remain three shot of county, eight shot of safety, nine ah, shot yeah. of safety. I mean, they're gonna, I think they're still going to have a fight just because I think the county are that guff that I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if they okay. go to county next week and get all three points and then it really is on. Okay. If, uh, yeah, if they lose next week at County and it's back to six, then you think that's maybe their, their chance being gone. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. However, as Martindale said himself, to be fair, so recently Levy went to Killy and played very well and didn't get anything out of the game. This game, they did not play well at all. So they undoubtedly deserved to win, but Livingston managed to get the three points through a combination of things, mainly to do with St Mirren. Mainly to do with Mikael Mandron. Yes, well, Mikael Mandron. <laughs> and yeah, so the first half, Especially the first 20, 30 minutes was dominated by, uh, sorry, dominated by St Mirren. 
But they never really, other than the glaring chance that James Scott missed, but he would have been offside anyway. They didn't actually create anything. Like they were, the, their balls in the box were. Well, firstly, they were, for St. Mirren, I thought they were a bit too reticent to put balls in the box and to ask questions of Livingston defence. And also, when they did put balls in, they were not of very good quality and a lot of times hit the first man. But Kelly was kind of running everywhere in the early going. Boyd Munts played quite well in that period. There was a number of things going for St. Mirren. They just couldn't seem to fashion any chances. And then they lose, like, such a. Like, if you're Stephen Robinson, but we'll get to Stephen Robinson and his <laughs> rage soon enough. But you've got to be furious with this goal because it's just a, it's a punt up the park for the goalkeeper. Alex Gogic just completely loses track of the flight of the ball. He could easily head it away. Instead, he gets underneath it, heads it on. It goes for a corner. Corner comes in. They don't win the first ball. They don't clear it the second time. I think, I had a look at it a few times. I think that's going to be a penalty if Livingston don't put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. Fraser's got his arms out. Kind of, He's engaging with Obelai and he doesn't see the ball coming, but his arms are definitely out. So it would be given as a penalty. Obelai has a shot. Hemming, dreadful attempt at making that save. Just a catalogue of errors to give away that goal. But then you get to the second half and it's just, again, it's more domination. And this time they're actually putting decent balls into the box. So Livy make a change. Michael Devlin comes on and they go to a back three. And this did help because it wasn't quite as much one-way traffic as it had been in the opening 20 minutes of the half. But they get the penalty. And Jesus, Jesus wept. <laughs> is this attempt from Mikael Bantron? Absolutely pish. And then he misses another sitter later on. So yeah, just not the, not the best of games for Livingston to say, yeah, we can definitely stay in this division. But you never know. They needed the result. They needed a confidence boost. They got one out part of this last week. They've got lucky in this game, I would say. But then they could take that on and Stephen Kelly playing again as well looked quite yeah. good. That so- was that, that was easily the best he's played this season, like by by miles and miles and miles. And like you're finally getting to see like all season long I've been looking at Nubly being like, Where are you? Like what's what's going on here? And maybe continually telling a player that they want to sell them over and over and over and over again is quite detrimental to their confidence, perhaps. Um Yenge looks like a bit of a handful as well. Like I don't mm-hmm. He doesn't strike me as being a wonderful footballer, but then again, Livingston had another big rock to play up front who then needed a Scotland centre forward as well. So again, <laughs> it's weird and wonderful things happen. And like, David Carson feels like exactly the same sort of signing as signing Jason Holt to play within there as well. It's, it, it's that sort of player of somebody who does sensible things without doing remarkable things. Yeah, other than the terrible giving away the penalty, which like not only should he not be sliding in at that moment, he also... No. He doesn't give himself enough space to turn when Oyasanya yeah. runs at him, and that, that was just very poor. You should know that Oyasanya is rapid, and he just doesn't just doesn't give himself enough of a gap. But yeah. other than that, I thought he played well. Yeah, I thought Sangari was good as well. Um, he looks like a one of these guys that's just able to step in. He, he it's a really difficult way to try and describe what sort of player that they are, but like his anticipation and his way of stepping in for interceptions within the game looks at, looks like he's been at a higher level, perhaps, or schooled at a higher level than perhaps Livingston generally. That's not a criticism. Livingston just, like, he's someone that looks like he reads the game very, very well. The number of times in the second half, um, uh, St. Mirren were trying to play sort of through balls through, and every single time it seemed like it was just stepping, it was just dropping onto Sangari's instep of his foot, because he was like, well, I'm here. Of course I'm here. This is the thing that I do. It's what I'm good at. Um, Yeah, and, yeah. St. Mirren hopeless, man. James Scott, absolute pish. Yeah, like I really wanted us to re-sign him in January because I was like, well, we can fix him. We can, of course we can fix him. I mean, we can't. <laughs> Fucking can't. He's just 
quite clearly just isn't really all that bothered. Like, he'll quite a criticism of a player to just say not all that bothered, but from where he was to where he is, he had an awful... He looked like he had more a more of a, a drive around his play at Motherwell. Even at St. Mern, he's they're even playing him in the position that I think James Scott should be playing in. Mm-hmm. Everyone looks at him and goes like, Hibbs did this quite a lot as well. I mean, you are quite tall. You should be a, a target man centre-forward. He's not. He plays off a centre-forward and he's much better at doing that. St. Mern are doing that and he's still not really contributing enough. Although I will say that had St. Mern signed Curtis Main, um, who I believe was one of their other targets, given the small cameos I've seen so far, that would have gone much better than either. Um, <laughs> he's had a good time in India, hasn't he? Oh, a very good time. <laughs> very good time making them very very slow that's not good uh, one thing I should say as well before we get on to Robinson is that Michael Nottingham not a player that Livingston fans have really had liked much this season and even for watching this game not much of a footballer I would say but bloody hell what a defensive performance he went in he was heading absolutely everyone away and just like just basically ball came to him if it was anywhere within 20 yards of his goal he was kicking it far down the other end of the park that's how you defend exactly and just a, a one shout out for Shamal George as well, a player who has yes. had a miserable season. Mm-hmm. I think it's I don't think it's unfair to say that. Like he's just I don't know whether he's been playing through injury or whether it's been a lack of confidence or something or anything along those lines, or the fact that that players in front of him have also not been performing to the levels that they are capable of. Obelied a better game than he has in a while as well. Saving a penalty, winning the game, like you're the star of the day. Like there's definitely something there with George. I don't know. As I say, injury, lack of confidence, or just a player developing or taking his time to get there. I think there's something there. Fingers crossed for him, he can turn that around for the rest of the season. Although not, although not fucking too much. <laughs> Stay with you, Graham. Stephen Robinson arguing with his own fans. Stunned at all by your ex-manager? Absolutely shocked and <laughs> shocked and amazed to see Stephen Robinson <laughs> arguing with people publicly. At least it wasn't the Sarah Christmas market this time. There is that. But yeah, um, <laughs> quite funny. Like I, I did find that quite funny. It was I was on the radio. I was listening to the radio in the car, coming back from uh, Tynecastle yesterday. And they were talking. About, oh, Stephen, someone's gone down the tunnel. We're like, what, what's going on here? And then Michael Stewart came on. He's like, actually, it was just Stephen Robinson going to square up to a fan. I was like, yep, that sounds. Because they were talking about like a St. Mirren fan going down a tunnel, and I was like, they had to go fucking miles to do that. Like they had to cross the entirety of the pitch past how many people and then peg it down the tunnel like I don't think there's a football fan in the country that has that cardio <laughs> so the idea that that had happened was very confusing but then as it turned out Stephen Robinson just stormed over to square up to a fan and like if you watch the footage right there's a guy there who I think it's who he's squared up to who's just standing there just like what I'm right you're wrong shut it <laughs> she's like not, not even mildly phased by Robinson and his face going mental at him so funny Right, and now it's time for He Said, She Said. And this week it is on Neil Warnock's comments after Aberdeen 2, Hibs 2. So let me read them out to you. So Warnock, there's a couple of things I want to mention, but we'll start with the funny bit of it, which is Warnock saying that when David Marshall came rushing at his goal and contested with Bojan Majorski for a, for a bouncing ball and Marshall corrected with his fist as he was trying to punch the ball away with Majorski's face, that Warnock thought it was manslaughter. So is Bojomayovsky dead? Yeah, I, I, I see that he <laughs> played the finished the finished the final ninety minutes. Right, okay, I misread that. <laughs> that's uh, that's on me. I'm not a strong reader. 
<laughs> it's, I mean, uh, Ewan, um, I think, would uh, want this point to be made, but there is no such thing as manslaughter in Scots law. There is culpable homicide. Ah, okay. Same thing. And Aberdeen? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was going to say, I don't think Warren cares at all about no. any, any kind of Scots no. law differentiation That's between English law. Yeah. It, it, he's a, point he, he's a big fan of English law. English law is the best. Yes, but um, but yeah, uh, R.I.P. I mean, he's um, right. It should be one of the real ones. Should it? Yeah, of course it is. It's one of those ones. It's when it's. They like... won the ball. If you did that out in the street, Graham, you'd did be done for manslaughter. Yeah, well, I, 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 I watched it. I did watched it. Mol- through, did he not go through Miofsky's face to do I it? I think if Marshall gets there first. As such, is not a penalty. If anything, Miofsky's late on Marshall. All right. Okay. Fair enough. I thought I thought it should have been a penalty, but. There, there, is a, there is one in this game that should have been a penalty. Oh, definitely. I don't, I don't right. think it's this one. I, uh, to, I, I watched in the clip, I thought the Marshall gets there first. Right, okay. I still, it's one of those ones, though, because it's like a goalie going with his, his arm, or it's the same when it's like a defender going with their head. If, it, if you go in with your feet and you get there first and then you follow through into the player and you, and you do so in a manner that could cause them injury, which is definitely, if you're punching somebody in the face, definitely can. Yeah, then then but it's, it's a foul. But if you, if you do it in the air, it seems to be this weird thing in football. If you do it in the air, then it's fine. I would gen- I do I do generally agree on that point. Like players who leather other players in the air and then get away with it. <laughs> that the goalkeeper and a, and a hand is different though because a hand's a hand. It's like it's a hand. It's not a head. It's not a skull, which is much heavier yeah. and firmer. As well as that, from a tackle perspective as well. Generally, both players aren't coming to meet in the middle of that mm. as well. Generally one's slightly more static and one is moving, whatever else. Whereas this one it's a bouncing ball. This is a really rare moment. There, there isn't there isn't a comparable version of this for a tackle no. or a header or anything like that. Because the goalkeeper's it's it's a it's a totally it's it's different to anything else within the game. And as such because Marshall gets there first, fine. And we could definitely say that Hibbs absolutely should have had a penalty and I do not understand why that's not. No. It's okay though because imp- decision making has improved um, to was it ninety one point seven percent I believe I think is the is the official the official line on that one so yeah I someone VAR actively, is there to pick up on these things as well someone actively handballing it in a very clear and obvious fashion is uh, 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 that doesn't count evidently yeah it wasn't even because at first before I uh, before I saw the game back I thought going by the description I was picturing someone jumping. And their arms just flailing a little bit and hitting it. But no, no, no. no. <laughs> it's a very clear, not even just a shaping of the body. I don't know what the step beyond shaping is, but it is, yeah, it is as blatant as it comes. Can I just say, when we're talking about body shape, right? There is not a team in the country with a weirder collection of, like, player mechanics, we'll say, in terms of player moving. Because Lewis Miller does not look at any point like he knows how to run like a functioning footballer there's probably a reason for that as well but Lewis Miller doesn't move and he doesn't move and it looks like he's been someone's told him about running and he's figured it out from that rather than <laughs> just running like someone's told him Newell's weird as well is weird Jair's weird. like there's three or four players within their team who look like some it's, it's a very weird collection of Mechanics of in terms of how they move. Miller's the worst of them, but they'll the neural will be in Jair as well. Weird, like Hibernian's really Ministry of Funny Runs. Yeah, basically, yeah. It's a it's a very difficult thing to put a finger on. But see, when you should notice it, I can't not notice it. And I don't know if it's just because I know Miller's is so weird because he's like an athlete first and a football second. But then you add the other ones into it. I don't know if I'm just noticing it more because I'm looking at Miller so much. 
And the other, the other comments that Warnock made, which could get onto the, basically it was the theme of the match, was that he said, it was a cracking game, we deserve to win, 26 shots of goal, the best we've played since I've been here, but the goals we conceded, oh my goodness me. And you can say that about both teams, because Jesus, neither of these teams can defend worth a lick. Triantis, Nectar Triantis, he's just not any good, is he? Like nope. we, 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 no. we talked about this earlier. He was signed from Sunderland for £1 million. He was loaned to Hibs. I'd done a podcast with you and we were looked at, we've done a series of podcasts in January. We were looked at the signings every single team was making in the top flight. I looked at Triantis and I was like, I don't think he's any good at all. And so it's been proven so far. So the Aberdeen equaliser, he is far too deep. And so he plays plays him on side and then he's just too slow to react to the loose ball so he's, he's too deep and then he just stands there when, when he is too deep so that's just two levels of uselessness right there Miller and Fish are hilariously bad for the second goal Miller is just it so, goes Duke goes past him like he's not like yeah. he, he, it's not even like he looks up and goes Miller's here so I'm going to go this way he just pays him no heed whatsoever and by the time Miller's figured out what's going on he's already three yards past him Miller has improved from last season but I still don't think he is a player at the level that Hibbs needs yes Tony said it before that he's got everything that you kind of want in a, a Scottish premiership fullback in terms of what he's good at which is like a lot of energy a lot of hard running just bounding up the pitch doesn't seem uh Plays the game like he doesn't have much between the ears. Like, just, just gets on with it and just it doesn't matter how much he's going to arse up. He's just going to go back and do it again next time. But I just don't think his talent level is good enough for where Hibs want to be. Imagine, imagine like, Hearts had picked up Callum Patterson on the way to a game is basically what Lewis Miller is. <laughs> like, like, Callum Patterson, they just saw him at a bus stop and was like, you, you can come and play fucking right back for us in the bus. And then that was how his career started. It's basically what Lewis Miller is. And then on the other side, Aberdeen, <laughs> the first goal, Gartevin getting bullied by Melida. And it's something that Tom said recently. I think when we done the, the YouTube show with Tony after Robson was sacked, was that Jensen and, and Gartevin are just, they're both all right, but they're just too similar to each other. And it's, it's weird as it is to say, because I do think he's not very good and a complete bomb scare. I think they do actually miss Rubicic. They miss a big bastard in the middle. They miss somebody who doesn't get bullied by Melida in that instance. I can see the logic, but just he's he's hopeless. <laughs> he's an absolute dumpling. Just like instead of saying, do you know what we should have done instead of, instead of signing uh, two players that were too similar, uh, just not sign three bad centre halves. At least he would be tall enough to not let the ball bounce over his head, though. True. Yes, Nicky Devlin for the equaliser. That was. Just, it just judges it horrendously. He's, he's not even judged it. I mean, this is, you know, judges, manslaughter. It's, it's been a bad day for the judiciary in Aberdeen. And we can make this a bit of a twofer in he said, she said, because we've also got Nick Montgomery saying it was a good one for our fans to watch. As Tony pointed out, fans like winning, Nick. You're yeah. not doing an awful lot of that. He needs to, he needs to stop talking. Like, he just <laughs> needs to... Every, every time I see something from Nick Montgomery, I'm like, this is just getting... Like, you're talking yourself into a bigger and bigger hole. Just stop talking. You need to stop talking immediately. I, for one, cannot wait to see what his comments are uh, after the next Saturday's game at Easter Road, because my hope is that he talks himself not only into a hole, but into outer space, um, because I can only imagine how Tony and Duncan, among others, will react if he is saying, well, that old Beck's some player, isn't he? Uh, after he thumps uh, in the winner for us in the last minute. And we shall finish off this episode with fill in the blanks. Lauren Shanklin will end the season with blank goals. 
Graham, he's got 25 in the domestic campaign. 26 if you include his one for Scotland. How many is he finishing on? And for, for Hearts, let's say. Liz Shank will end this season with more goals than he has vaccines. <laughs> it's already done that. <laughs> he done that on his first one. Yeah, fine. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've broken down the numbers of this one. So there is 12 league games left. There could be as many as 15 games left for Hearts if they get to the Scottish Cup final. I think he's scoring will slow a little bit. Hearts' fixtures are going to get a bit tougher. Will he get to 30? I think he will. So I've settled on 32 for this season. Have you still got to play Hibs before the split? Yes. Okay, that adds a couple on. Um, yep. Let's go. Yeah, let's go with 32. For 32, right. Lovely stuff. He was at it again this weekend in Hearts 2-0 victory over Motherwell and Graham. What was, you, what was your thoughts on this game? I didn't actually see this one. I was at my niece's birthday, so I, I skipped out on this one. But what was your thoughts on another Hearts victory? I was really, really pleased that I drove like Colin McRae to get from Fraser being in gymnastics to then absolutely tearing through to Edinburgh in order to make it. This was a complete fucking waste of my time. <laughs> Broadly, right, and I said this to the Terrace group chat, this was about as, until, until Rangers St. Johnston today was the most functional win of the weekend by miles and miles and miles. Motherwell had a handful of chances within the game. Lennon Miller should really have scored. Um, the one thing which is, the one thing which is potentially going to hold him back slightly is just he's, he doesn't have, a, he doesn't have like an electric turn of pace. I don't think it really matters depending on where you want to play him, but we played him slightly further forward in this game. Um, so him bearing down on goal, I think in six months' time he's more prepared for a, a finish like this. He's been out for three or four months, so he's not played an awful lot of football recently. I think another six months down the line he finishes this no bother. He was very good in the game, I would say, for Motherwell. He was the, the, the real sort of high point in the game for us as well. Jack Vale had a chance for Motherwell as well, but broadly, it was a... First half, it was it was Hearts doing Hearts, Hearts' first half performance of getting the ball into the wide areas, trying to create overloads um, in the wide areas, and Motherwell just shifting left and right and just cutting it off. Like There was very little chances, and, and there were very few chances, particularly in the first half. Again, just a, a reasonably decent contest. Start of the second half, uh, Motherwell kind of came tearing out, which was very strange for just like a just for like a wee sort of ten minute spell. Um, Motherwell looked like they were really going for it, but like ultimately, like, Hearts of Lord and Shankland, and nobody else does. Like the, it's terrible defending from Motherwell trying to play zonal with. Casey at the front of it who just lets watches the ball sail over his head like if you're playing you saw a few times today in the in, in the Rangers game particularly as well they would play the same sort of system as a zonal thing in St Johnston putting crosses into the box I think it was Lundstrom at the front post and every time the ball came in all he did was just nod the ball over the box or, or over the bar like fine like just win it and then fucking deal with everything else afterwards like it doesn't matter Casey just watched just didn't watch the ball sail over his head which was really good straight out of Shanklin's massive dome <laughs> Thumped that into the ground and uh, to make it to make it one nothing. Like, again, totally fine. Like um, good good performance. Hearts made a, a plethora of substitutions as well. What was the the eventual uh, second goal scorer coming on? But again, by that point, by the time the second goal went in, Motherwell were kind of chasing the game an awful lot. Kettlewell had tried a few things to try and open up, open up the game for us. 
in terms of switching Divine from right to left, which doesn't really work because Divine doesn't really have a, a particularly strong left foot. It also removes uh, Georgie Gent as a threat as well, who again had a pretty good game for us as well. Gives us a different threat in that O'Donnell can actually win headers uh, when Kelly's cross when Kelly's um, goal kicks him out. So I understand that was what it is. But Motherwell just have like, there's just so little depth in the squad as well. We saw Mark Ferry coming on. That was after his like completely uneventful loan spell at the start of the season as well. Nicholson comes on, looks okay in bits and pieces. I don't think he's fit enough for any more than sort of half an hour, 40 minutes in the meantime. Abika just offers nothing, man. Like, he just brings nothing to a Motherwell side. Like, we did, uh, Zadrovsky had a really good uh, game as well, but again, was on the losing side. Like, frustrating for Motherwell, but ultimately, like, hearts are just good. Like, there's, there's not another way, there's not a, 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 not a particular other way around that as well. Like, hearts changed the entirety of the, what is like a midfield five ultimately with the is it Limbakisa on the, the right and Cocker on the left through both injury and moving players around within there as well, but changing the entire midfield five and replacing them with five guys who also probably played a little bit better than the guys that started. Like what is it like mother of fuck all in terms of squad depth, so what you gotta do? Yeah, I think Hearts from from not so long ago looking like the squad was a bit patchy in places it's just got real strength about it and that's been helped by improvement in players so you did Vargas excellent with the goal he's Vargas has always been somebody that's looked like he's had good potential and somebody always looked like somebody that was potentially worth signing at the end of this loan deal recently he's added a bit of that finishing quality that means that Hart should definitely pay that 400,000 that it's rumoured that it would cost to get him and guys like Alan Forrest like three months ago, it looked like his Hearts career was just trailing out to inevitable end. He had a decent start when he first joined for Livingston, but then was very poor for basically most of the time in between then. But he's still, in terms of his kind of final decision or his final touch, can sometimes still let him down, but he does a hell of a lot of running. And he's brought a real urgency to this Hearts attack that was that's, that's there now, but was missing before he started having this great run of form. And Calum Nuenhoff, from somebody that, to me, again, like, this is even closer. This was like the, the Dundee game where he turned around. So it's only about six weeks ago for a second. He doesn't do anything except for pass the ball sideways. But since then, he's, he's been excellent. He does a lot more going forward. He takes a lot more chances on the ball. And he's just been a lot more dogged. So not only is he keeping position, he's also winning it back. And so he's seen it, I'm thinking, the build up to a couple of the chances that Hearts had in the second half. He's going, interrupting a mother will move, winning it, and then playing it forward. And... And also in this game, Natty Atkinson and Cammy Devlin. Devlin's been injured. He came off the bench. Atkinson has been in and out of the team this season due to injury, but he's actually played very well under Naismith. He's another kind of one of Naismith's success stories in terms of improving players. He'll probably start at Ibrox next week because Lembekiza has gone off the boil a little bit. But there's just now so many options in the squad and options that you can actually rely on rather than what was there before. Lembekiza was a weird one because the entirety of the, the, the first half he kept getting the ball out of the right wing and just stepping on it, 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 and not actually moving at all with it, particularly. And then eventually just giving it up to Ghent, who, again, it's not uh, the defensive side of, of, of Ghent's game is not why he plays for Motherwell. And then, literally, just before the halftime whistle blew, the ball came out to him and he just attacked Ghent with his first touch and disappeared past him. And then was immediately hooked at halftime. I was like, like he's just—he's literally just figured out just before halftime that the way to do this is just to go and attack rather than uh, stand the ball a hundred times. Um, also, Neuenhoff looks about forty-five, by the way. <laughs> a man who's apparently twenty-three years old, but when you see him, like you, you genuinely, 
he feels he looks like a nineties footballer being like reincarnated. Very yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think what um, what has been shown over the last couple of weeks, and it's stating the obvious, but clinging on to Shankland in January has already paid dividends because that's a fourteen point gap to Kelly. Yeah. It's actually a, a bigger gap down to fourth than it is to the top of the league. Um, and I think um, someone who I won't name um, was was doing the maths on um, whether or not Hearts could actually potentially get up and maybe finish second. Would that be fair? No, no, that's not going to happen. Definitely not no. going to happen. I was, I was hoping too, I could tempt you into saying that. No, on air. too much a gap. What I'm looking at for the rest of the season is who's going to win the Scottish Cup. Yeah, I'd obviously like it to be Hearts, and I think there's a I think in a season where both Celtic and Rangers are have shown that, that they are beatable. That that that's not. Like we've got to the final quite a few times in recent seasons, so and if we get to the final this time, this would probably present our one of our best opportunities to actually go in and, and win the trophy. A legitimate one this time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> but our, most of our first legitimate one since nineteen ninety eight. But even then, we were spending a bit and uh, went in about uh, twenty million pounds worth of debt with the Bank of Scotland. But anyway, the. All the best clubs do it, it's fine. But if it's, and then if it's not Hearts, then neither Celtic or Rangers doing it, because I want all those tasty European trips again, and it would just be, <laughs> it would be very bloody Hearts to, to fuck it last year, to do it this year in style, finishing third, and then to have, I don't know, imagine Aberdeen win the Cup, I would be, Aberdeen or Hibs winning the Cup would just make me, ah, oh, sick, absolutely sick. So, anything but that. Great morning, then. I think that'll do us. Thank you very much for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast. I would just also like to say as well, before we finish, obviously we released the podcast last week, the special announcement where we, we told the, the world that I am now doing this as part of my full-time job. I just want to say a, a very heartfelt thank you to everybody who reached out, said some very nice things, be it via Twitter, be it through email, through WhatsApp, through Instagram, through our Discord chat really means a lot to me thank you very much to everybody i've still got a few people to get back to and to to thank them for their for their nice words but yeah just wanted to say that and i think that'll do us for now gary thanks for having me graham bye and i'm craig fuller and we will be back again later this week with hopefully barring any call-offs another lower league show with sean and telfer goodbye Podcast Network.